it's time for me to qualify. <laughs> First of all, I want to say that I have been in the program um, 15 years. I started in 2001. I came in um, uh, 45 pounds heavier than I am right now. And um, I have been abstinent 14 of those years. Um, when I first... When I first came in, I'll just start at the very beginning. I had, uh, I came in in 51 when I was 51 years old. I mean, I came in at 2001 when I was 51 years old. And um, I came in primarily because I had done many of the things that I'm sure all of you have done. I've done a ton of different diets. And by the time I was 51, I'd been heavy since I was a young girl. So I had, you know, done starvation diet. <laughs> I nearly killed myself on a starvation diet one time. Um, uh, I had done things like, um, well, I remember it's, it's Easter, so Easter was one of my great stories. Um, I have a, a, a girlfriend, and we were both about five years old, and we went up to the attic of my house, and uh, for Easter sometimes they have these shadow box eggs that you can look into, and they're made of solid sugar, and you can look into them, and they have little uh, uh, dioramas of... of um, uh, bunnies and things like that. They're very sweet. And we had had these for years. They were part of our centerpiece for uh, Easter. And they are <laughs> dipped in shellac to hold them for all those years. <laughs> we picked the shellac off these eggs and ate them. And I, so I just don't, I mean, I, I've heard people going into the dumpster and I did that with cigarettes. But I, this, <laughs> which was cute and I got caught at it too by a neighbor. What are you doing in the dumpster? Looking for my cigarettes. Um, so that was, that qualifies me certainly as a compulsive overeater and it started when I was very young. I came in at uh, 51, a smoker and well over 200 pounds. And I came in because my, I, my sister, one of my sisters, um, all my sisters are nurses. This one was a hospice nurse, had died of cancer recently. And we were the closest. We were only 14 months apart in age and inseparable. And I adored her. And she was, well, hospice nurses. I don't know if any of you, many of you have probably dealt with hospice. But, but they usually are quite extraordinary people, um, those people who guide our loved ones out of this world and help us cope with that and it's so she was a beautiful souled person and I just adored her and because of the cancer and her terrible battle with it um, and the other thing about her was she did all allowed the Mayo Clinic to do tremendous experimental procedures on her because she believed in medicine and she wanted to be a part of it progressing and so there were, you know, many times where we all wanted to say, just stop, Connie, stop. But she didn't. Um, she subsequently passed away, but we had had an agreement that if she survived this, we were both going to finally do a program that we thought that worked, which was Overeaters Anonymous, that we'd heard about from friends. And um, she did not make it to that. So I have a very dear friend here uh, in Los Angeles. I've known her for years now, about 38 years. And she was in uh, two of these programs, anonymous programs. And she was my Eskimo, and she was so brilliant. She would, I would complain about um, being overweight and miserable, and, and I was depressed because of my sister. And the other little secret that I had that not many people knew at the time was I'd been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I'd been hospitalized for it um, 
several times at that point in my life and been locked up in a closed psych ward and had to recover from these episodes. So I, I was having a very hard time just being in life. And I, by nature, am a very joyful person. And my joy kind of went out of my life during that time. So she just would say to me, you know, if you, if you ever want to go to a, an OE meeting, I'd go with you. You know, I'd take you. I'd escort you. And so finally one day I just said to her, let's go, Kathy, let's go. So I came into a meeting, and my first meeting was Serenity Sunday. And it was a beautiful, huge meeting. Many of you know the meeting. And um, I was just thunderstruck when I heard that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Because I thought, it's one thing to get some sanity around the food, but what if I got it actually in my life again, and that this improved, that my diagnosis improved. So that, of course, brought me to my knees and to tears, and um, I found a sponsor that very next Sunday, and... Um, <laughs> they said, find something, uh, it's a program of attraction, find something about this person that attracts you. And he was one of the most humble human beings I had ever heard speak. And I thought, that's something that I really need is humility, because I'm, I'm in need, and I need, I need to be aware that I, I'm turning to somebody for assistance in a way that I've never done before. So he was a terrific sponsor for, he sponsored me through my steps. I got abstinent immediately. My first abstinence was no sugar. And we made it for um, about a year. And I got to my fifth step with him. And I realized he was 27 years old. And I thought, a 51-year-old woman sitting down and dumping her entire life history on this 27-year-old boy was probably a bit much. So we went, through, we went through it, but I said, you know what, I think I need to look for a sponsor more my own age, somebody who's had some of the life experiences that I've had. <laughs> I'm just going to scare you. So um, he was dear and sweet and grateful and, and wonderful about it, and, and a person that I still think of all the time. I, I will never not be grateful to him. So... I found another sponsor then, and uh, she and I, I, I believe to this day, shared this diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and that was actually the undoing of us because uh, she would be in trouble or I'd be in trouble, and we couldn't guide one another, and I couldn't follow program, and it was just, I thought, well, this is the blind eating the halt. We just really need to, we need, I need to find somebody who doesn't have this, um, even though it's a program of sharing, and, and you know, uh, 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 you don't want to necessarily share that. So... What happened to me in this program, and it is a huge part of my story, was I, I found a third sponsor then, and my third sponsor is still my sponsor, and I, am, I just love her, and she's humble and fabulous and, and uh, enormously patient with me. Um, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I think one of the things I need to say is because of this diagnosis and because I navigate this particular illness, uh, or mood disorder, they're starting to call it, which I think is a much more compassionate way to deal with it. Um, 
Consistency is very difficult for me. I think it's probably difficult for many people in this program. But I see people who make a commitment to do something and they can do it every single day. They get up and tell me that they get up in the morning at 6 o'clock and that they meditate until 6.30 and then they write until so-and-so and they always have the same breakfast. And I so admire that. That is not my story. I will do things consistently for six months to a year. I will be just terrific about it. My sponsor is very generous with me. I, um, I, I am, she has requested that I send in my food daily and that I make two phone calls a week, and I am not consistent in that. Uh, I work hard at it, and it is my goal, and it's my focus too make that a consistent thing in my life. But I have to say that there, there are just difficulties where I will find myself five days down the line thinking, oh my God, I've forgotten to call, or oh, I forgot to send my food. And, and I think, how is that possible? But this is a disease of amnesia. I just, I find that, you know, I, I still get surprised every now and then, although my abstinence is no sugar and no white flour, I will find myself sometimes at a dinner party or something and I'm eating a cracker with cheese and think, this is a white flour cracker. And I think, how could you not know that? How could you forget that after 14 years? Could a cracker go by you and you're not aware that it's white flour? And then you act so surprised. And I think, well, thank God I'm an actress. Thank God I'm an actress. <laughs> so anyway, that, so that's a problem. Uh, so I am trying very hard to do that. Anyway, to back up, um, so I'm in the program, and I've been in the program for uh, my, my first nine months. I decided, under my sponsor's guidance, I talked, not their guidance, but their permission, I talked to them, and I said that for Christmas, I was going to make ridiculous candy for people for their Christmas presents. And I ate some of that while I was... Uh, working uh, while well, I was making the gifts and so we agreed that in fact uh, because that was really kind of a foolhardy thing to do I should in fact start my abstinence over again um, then I had another with that with that second uh, with my second sponsor we also got about nine months into the program and an incident came up and I thought this is such a slippery slope I think I should start again I recently and I think I should share this um, I have been abstinent from sugar for, as I say, 14 years. And um, I had a friend come and live with me who was having some difficulty for six weeks. And one of the things that she did while she was there as a thank you, she went out and bought sugar-free things for me and brought them into the house as gifts. I ate some of these thinking, no big deal, and I'm, you know, because I don't eat sugar, this is not a sugar substance, and it absolutely led to my eating something that has another kind of sugar in it, molasses, and I was trying to just say, well, molasses isn't really sugar, and I got a hold of my sponsor and talked to her about it and said, uh, what do you think we should do? What, What should I do at this point? And because it was a one-time incident, we discussed it. And she said, what would you do with your sponsee? And I said, well, a sponsee with that much experience and time in the program, I would probably say, let's treat this as a slip and see if you don't do it again. But you can't do it again. And let's add sugar-free substances to your abstinence so that sugar and sugar-free, anything that looks like candy, cookies, cake, anything desserty, you're done with. It's over. And I said, I think that's a great idea because it just makes it cleaner. And I think this program is so difficult 
and I know you've heard this many times, but with a program like AA, you put a substance down, and it's down. You just don't pick it up. With us, that having to do this, you've got to eat, and you've got to do it at least three times a day, if not more. And because I also was diagnosed with diabetes, my doctors had asked me to maybe do five small meals a day rather than three. So I do that, and I think, well, that's five times a day. All these issues come up, and I know you all know it well. So I just thought this is this is um, best for me to not to to get as many hard and fast rules as I can. Gives me some boundaries and helps me work a better program. So that's what I'm doing right now, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, last year, I had a huge challenge in this program. I went to the doctors and was diagnosed with cancer and subsequently had a hysterectomy and radiation treatments. And through all of this, it's very difficult when you have surgery, as you all know, I'm sure, if you have surgery, that, that you have to fast. And then coming out of the fasting, there's specific things that they like you to eat, and, and uh, you're in a hospital, and they're controlling your food. And I was so lucky because dear friends in the program came to the hospital with me, and spent the night in the hospital with me and helped supervise my food while I was still under the influence of anesthesia um, because they brought up a diabetic meal, but it was, it was not an abstinent meal. And I thought, oh, how interesting that in a hospital that they would serve you a sugar substance when you're a diabetic. But they did come up with a dessert. And I said, well, you know, just get it off the table because my judgment is definitely impaired while I'm trying to get out of anesthesia. But that was absolutely fabulous and really a testament to this program that you can get that there are people out there who are uh, like you, who are so compassionate and kind that they are willing to take time out of their lives and help you walk yours for a while when you're not strong enough to walk it on your own. And that was a long time recovering from that. And I went back to a thing I hadn't done since my sister had died of having difficulty getting up in the morning and getting on with my life. And this friend... Uh, said, you can call, call me when that's going on. We'll have a conversation and we'll bookend your life. You can go, you'll, I'll, I'll tell you that you're going to get up and you're going to go do a load of wash and you're going to you come back in the house and you're going to do your dishes and you're going to have your breakfast and then you can go back to bed if you want to. So we did that for several days while I was getting myself back on my feet and another friend came and stayed with me for three days in my house while I was recovering, which was really great too. So that was really lovely. And another experience that I had in the program was I went through a period in my career, one of the things that's really important in life is to, is your memory. It's memorization. And um, I had a huge thing coming up, which was a lot of memorizing, and I was having difficulty remembering lines. And this can be really embarrassing. And um, I came to the program to a Serenity Sunday and asked for prayers with my fears and all of the difficulties that I was having around this and went to um, do this job and everything went smooth as glass. And I felt like I, through the whole thing, I could not help but feel that I was completely supported by the rooms full of people that I know in this, in this particular program and uh, could not have been more grateful for it. It was just wonderful. So um, recently I had another incident which was uh, extraordinary. I was uh, 
at my job and um, they had called me the night before for this job and it was a lot of memorization and I got um, to work and they uh, said uh, and I started to try to do this job and I couldn't remember any of the lines and it went on for 15 hours I had to call line 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 and the director did a brilliant thing Uh, she said I don't care if you call for line all day that's all right but I'm asking a favor of you don't do that thing that people do of where they say they're sorry we have no time to fix it for you today and I thought what a brilliant note but a difficult one so all day long I had to do this and never say I was sorry and it went on for 15 hours and a wonderful thing happened a a voice a came into my head and it was a mantra that and it sounded like my mother's voice that kept saying no matter what happens Mary Pat behave like a lady and I thought so these were my two parameters I could not apologize and I had to behave like a lady so that was a very long hard day and I found once again that there are just I call them angels I hope that's not offensive to anybody but I just think that there are angelic qualities about all of us that we show up as angels in each other's lives There were 200 people in this room witnessing this. And I was the focus for those 15 hours while they all watched this. And at one point, oh my God, at one point I got Charlie horses. I had to um, call and ask for some medication. And a great big ENT guy came in carrying all this equipment. I thought, oh my God, they found out that I have bipolar disease. And this is going to go down badly. And this is going to be a freaking nightmare. And I still have to behave like a lady and not apologize. (laughs) (laughs) so so this huge guy comes over and he leans on this desk and he looks me in the eye and he said say what's going on with you and I thought oh my god I can't tell him what's going on with me how can I possibly it's a nightmare there's so much going on with me so what I said was um, well uh, I, I was wondering if I could get an Advil I have a Charlie horse and he said, yeah, that's what I wanted to know what was going on with you. I can give you an Advil. And I went, oh, my God, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not being carried out of here. Oh, good. This is so much better. A couple of Advil. I'm back on my feet. That was an unbelievable day. And I found out at the end of that day, when I went to leave, um, they quite frequently in my situation will say, you know, that this is a finish for this particular person and they're leaving, which they did for me, that Mary Pat is leaving and thank you for coming. And all of those sweet people applauded and came up to me and thanked me for the day. And I thought, what an extraordinary thing that all these people in that room, while I'm thinking they're judging me and thinking, oh, get her out of here. Um, They were all there praying for me and wishing me well and wanting me to stand up. And I tell you, it is this program that held me there. The the principles of this program of just do the best you can. Um, I, I had difficulty eating my food that day. I had a roiling stomach, but I kept drinking my water and trying to keep things, you know, as neat as possible and, and uh, keep me as straight as I possibly could. And I just feel I had friends that I could call. The one break I went on, I called a program friend and said, oh, my God. And she just said, hang in there. You keep hanging in there. You've you got more support than you think you know, and you're going to be fine. So... 
Um, I was, and I was able to work again after that. But, of course, when you go to work again, all those monsters come up. All that conversation of fear and anxiety and this is going to happen again and they're all watching you for it. And in fact, I thought, I'm home free. They didn't change any of my lines. We're shooting. And they came up to me. They stopped shooting and said, just wait a minute because we're rewriting your material. And I went, oh, great. And they said, they want to give you more lines. And I said, oh, fabulous. That's great. Thank God they came up with them. And while there was one voice in my head going, Screaming! You can't do this. Tell him you can't do this. You're problem with life. There was another voice going, just learn the lines. Just learn the lines. And I have learned in program that that voice over there needs some comforting, that crazy one. So I just kept saying, okay, calm down. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. i got to learn lines. I have no time for you. We've got to learn lines. I've got to learn lines. I've got to learn them now. So we got, I got through it. We, <laughs> I'm a split personality. <laughs> I got through it just terrific. But I have to say, on the way to my car, I cried, and I cried for gratitude for... Once again, I thought, even when you are not present, you're present. And it's so interesting because the focus of that show is a 12-step program. So I thought, isn't this interesting? Because my 12-step program is saving me on this job. So I was grateful for that. So um, in in kind of wrapping up, I want to say that I... um, I could not be more grateful for this program. My intention is I pray every morning, and that is, that is consistent. I pray every morning. It doesn't mean that I pray the moment I wake up. It can be at 10 o'clock when I go, you forgot to pray, so, or on the treadmill. Or, but this program has gotten 45 pounds off me. I had 11 years in this program with no episodes, which is virtually impossible with the diagnosis that I've got. And I know it was this program because I had been restored to sanity. Even in the difficulty that I have now, I am restored to sanity. There's sanity around my eating. I have been given so many gifts from this program, I can't possibly even name them because I take them for granted now. They're my new life and it's the way I live. And when I look back at the old things that I had, I, uh, anxieties and fears and difficulties in my life, they've been gone for so long they don't feel like they're mine anymore. So I am a truly grateful member. I am working on uh, being uh, more exemplary than I am because I have an exemplary uh, Sponsor, and I'd like to be an exemplary sponsor myself, but I cut myself some slack that I'm also a human being and I'm giving it my best shot. So um, I just want to say, I think that we're there, right, Carol? (laughs) Well, I'm going to give you back that minute. Thank you all for your wonderful attention. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay, we stop at 9.35. Okay. Yes. Hi, Michael. Hi. Thanks, Mary Pat. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, So you mentioned your sister who who died. Yes. Such a giving person, and then you got cancer. 
Whenever stuff like that happens, like you know, Martin Luther King gets killed violently in Gandhi, and you know, all this John Lennon gets killed, I mean, it, it kind of messes with my concept of a higher power. How, mm. how does that affect you and your concept of a higher power, and how do you get back on track with that when stuff like that happens? Well, I guess. I was raised in faith, so faith is not a difficulty for me. There was a concept of God in my house always. And I I always, I feel I don't, I don't really know exactly what's going on here. I feel it's a spiritual journey. And um, so when things like that happen, I have to... Grieve it, of course, because I think one of the big problems in this program is with a lot of us is that we don't have our feelings. We eat over them. So I try to have my feelings about it and take the time. Sometimes it's just a deluge. I mean, I think the beginning of this year, we lost a lot of people in the world that were very beloved. And it happened so rapidly that you hardly had a chance to recover from one before you got news that another dear heart of the world that had, you know, entertained us or enlightened us or done something. And, um, uh, so I find that I need to I need to pray over that because I don't I don't know. I mean I know that it's significant that we come for a brief period of time and then we exit. I don't know why people exit when they do exit. I just know that the obligation is to share and to try to grow as much as we can during the duration of time that we're here in kindness and generosity, compassion. And I feel this program really grounds me. So I up going to my meetings. I try to, I try to set aside more time for prayer and meditation because I need enlightenment there. I just do. But I also don't expect any more. When I went in to get, when I went in for my diagnosis of cancer, the doctor was there and she, I could tell she had such anxiety about what she was going to tell me. And I said, just to give you a break, I know what you're going to say is I've got cancer. So let's figure out what it is and if there's anything that can be done about it or if this is, this is something I'm just going to have to accept. And she was so grateful. She was so grateful that, you know, it wasn't going to be a big ordeal and it wasn't. Because I am comfortable with the fact that we enter and we exit. And that these things are going to happen and that we have no control over them. But I do feel tremendously supported by my higher power in that more will be revealed. I don't know if that's helpful, Michael, but yeah, my pleasure. Yes. I was plagued. Oh, I'm sorry. Given, given the uh, industry that I'm in, the place where I live, where we all live, um, do, we, do I find, uh, I'm paraphrasing you, I apologize. Do we find, uh, diff, do I, how do I deal with the conversation around how you look? And, you know. Uh, so I, I have to say I was plagued by that for, and I think a lot of people are, and it's, you know, it's on billboards, everything. It's at us all the time. I've gotten now, because of this program, that I don't care. It's just I don't care. So in my heart, I think that's not about me. It's, it's just like there's a lot of food involved in my industry, and it's all day long. And I now go through all that food going, 
<laughs> poison, 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 my food. Poison, poison, my food. And that's how I feel about these signs. Poison, 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 poison magazine, poison magazine, poison magazine. Ah, story for me. So, <laughs> because I just think I have spent so much time on it that, that I could be doing other things with. That I just kind of thought one day, I... I'm as beautiful as I need to be to, to whatever created me. I am beautiful, just like we are all beautiful and we are all handsome and we are all perfect. And we're perfect right now, even before we lose the weight we want to lose and before we do the things we want to do. And that has comforted me. I think it's a little easier for me because, of the, because I'm in the character world. So, but I, I feel comfortable with it and I have a lot of friends who do. So that... So the conversation doesn't come up so much for us. Yeah. Thank you very much. Could you speak about how your relationships with friends, family, intimate relationships work have changed since you've been in program and if you notice the difference and how? They have changed dramatically. Oh, repeat the question. I'm sorry. Um, can I speak to the um, having been in program relationships with my family and friends, how they've changed and, and how that manifested itself? And one of the things is I came from a very Irish family and a big storyteller. So there's a lot of exaggeration and there's, as you get older, there's some confusion with what's honest. <laughs> so, but I don't know that that's necessarily not a problem for everybody too because I think this, is, this can run in family so I think I'm far more honest with my family than I used to be I also um, became manager of a building uh, eight years ago and all of a sudden I had to deal dead on right this minute with a lot of people which I was not used to doing you know stalling and trying to find a way of inkling that there was something wrong and we should talk about it and in this program, I got to model behavior with friends and have conversations with them and say, I've got to talk to somebody about the fact that they're a hoarder, for God's sakes, and we've got to, we've got to deal with this because it's a danger in the building. And they would actually have conversations with me. They would pretend that they were the tenant and I was talking to them, and that was great. But I noticed just gradually that my behavior with my family was a lot clearer and more honest. And quite frequently, they will come to me now and say, what's the clean version of what happened in that party when we were all together? And I think how nice that they actually look to me for that. I think also that I have, um, what would I say? Um, They've changed, I think, because I've changed. I see them differently. And I'm not very critical of them anymore. I'm more accepting of them because I've had an opportunity to be in these rooms and, you know, these, the brilliant idea that we do three-minute shares and you just accept what's going on with people and see them, and I accept that now. In my family, they talk a lot about the fact that, you know, Mary Pat's food and notice that I don't eat things and they'll say, oh, Mary Pat's not going to have that. She doesn't have that. They didn't used to. They used to push really hard for me to do what they were doing because it felt like home. And now they don't at all. Now they're just swell with whatever I do. So that's great. And they ask me about it. I have to say not many of them have gone into program, and a few of them would really benefit by it. But I have one niece that I think is going to go in now that I think would be great. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, 
you know that voice in your head, that one that sort of shames you, or mm. that, that old story, wherever that is? How do you handle that when when you get that you doing that to yourself, or that being put upon you? How do you deal with that in a positive way instead of taking it off? Yeah. The question is, um, the voice in your head that's critical, how do you deal with that and how do you deal with other people who maybe are even putting it on you? Um, I think I deal with it the way I, I said, in, when I find myself in an incident where that voice is coming up, I used to um, shame that voice, try to shut it down. I have a tendency now, and have when I have the time, um, and I've had the time, when it's been big, I had the inspiration one time to just turn around and go, Oh, you big baby, you're so scared. Come here and let me hold you. I'm just going to let me cuddle you a little bit till you relax. <laughs> this is life. You can't get out of this situation. It's going to be okay. Don't feel bad. And that has become my attitude towards it. It comes up and I think, oh, the baby's up, the baby's up, and the baby's angry, and the baby's scared. So instead of being a mean mother, I try to be a kind mother to it. I try to just say, oh, come on, and pray over it. Oh, come on, no, we're going to relax. We're going to say a little prayer, and you can relax a little bit. You're welcome. Hi, um, thank you for your Have you ever been fired by a sponsor or fired a sponsor? Yes. Yes, that the, the one where we were we were in the situation where it was so confused, where she was unavailable because of difficulties with emotional problems, or I was unavailable because of difficulties with emotional problems. And I just, it was very hard. Once again, I modeled behavior. I called another friend and said, I need to do this. Can I have this conversation with you? And what's so great about that, modeling that behavior, is it's an opportunity for the other individual who's helping you to hear if there's shame and blame in what you're about to say to that person. And they can help you take all of that out so you just do your side of the street. I am ending this right now because of reasons about myself, not you. And I was able to say thank you very much for your kindness, for the time that you've put in for being there. And we're not all necessarily right for each other. And this has become clear to me that I need some things that are not necessarily your strong suit. And, you know, and, and it was gracious and lovely and no pain, which I thought was, and, and I didn't feel like I was going to have to then go to an amends for how I said goodbye. So I, it was clean and neat and like a lady. Yeah, my pleasure. Carol. Um, what does the phrase worker program on it mean to you? What does that look like? The question is, what is the phrase work your program mean to me? Well, I have an ideal of how you work this program. My, it, it looks to me that the, the 12 steps are intrinsic to me, and I've worked them twice, and I'm more than willing to work them again and do 10 steps all the time on things that come up. I believe in prayer and meditation daily. I try to do that, but I'm inconsistent. I believe an abstinence is enormously significant, that you need to get some sort of an abstinence around what you're doing or parameters because this is a food issue and it has to be addressed. And I, for instance, because I'm diabetic, my doctor would love me to lose 25 pounds. And that's an issue with me. I haven't done it since she made that request two years ago, but I'm working on it all the time. And um, 
meetings. I think meetings are really significant, and I think I like two or three a week. Um, since I was diagnosed with cancer, I've only been able to do one a week, and I want to get that back up to three now that I'm feeling really strong and good again. So, um, okay, five minutes. So I think that's, that's what my program looks like to me. And, of course, the traditions. I always go to one meeting where we read the 12 steps and the 12 traditions because I think the traditions are so significant in how we conduct ourselves in life. And I think that they worked very hard to find the parameters that have allowed this brilliant meeting to take place and that we don't have any voices of authority and all of that. And I think it's, so those mean a great deal to me, and I keep familiarizing myself with them because you forget. Carol. Um, thank you so much, Mary Pat. I just want to put you in my pocket. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm flattered. Uh, I, I'm sort of uh, asking you a question to bring out a, a greatest hit of yours in my life, in my book. And you talk, I've heard you share about um, the competitiveness of, of your industry and just the expectations in life when you don't get what you were hoping for. And you have a, a beautiful way of handling that. If you remember it, if you could share it. I do. Yes, the question is, um, how do you handle competitiveness and um, in, in life and when you don't get what you want? And I have had, once again, I say I have this powerful, wonderful group of friends that if you can in life get a group of friends that you all, even if you're all doing the same thing, and you can really love each other to success and not be jealous about that, I highly recommend it. I had this thing in my head that in the business that I'm in, you have to go in and want something 100% or you're not going to do a good job. So you've got to go in and love it and do all of the work and everything. And then you get rejected, and that can happen many times a week. I don't know if well, everybody has to, has to go on a job interview, but if you had to go on, you know, 10 of them a week, uh, it, it's tough because that's a lot of rejection. So what I finally realized was, that in the universe, nothing can stop my good from coming to me. So I don't have to worry about who gets what, because if it's not my good, no matter how much I want it, it's not mine. And if I get it, then it's mine. The universe said, this is yours. This is the lesson you're learning right now. This is the place you should be. And I am okay with that. And I've had to bite the dust on, you know, we, we sign uh, all sorts of contracts before we go in for the job, which is really interesting. So they, they set a price on you before they want you so that you can't use their want against them. So... Uh, <laughs> So you go in, and so for like 27 minutes before you walk into a room, you have $7 million. You come out of the room, and you've got nothing again, and you can't pay your rent. So, you know, we've done that a few times. So I had to find a way to be able to be happy and have fun in my career, and that's the way I found it was to go, nothing can stop my good from coming to me, and it can't. And I always feel we're building this game. It's not like there's a pizza there and somebody gets a slice of it. And there's only five pieces left. I think, ah, we have no idea how many pizzas we're going to need. Nice image in a, you know, overrated program. (laughs) But anyway, I feel that's what we're doing. Thanks, Carol. So at this point, <laughs> yes, Christian. Thank you, Mary Pat. What's your daily routine 
in your recovery as far as when you wake up, your head, you do any kind of praying Well, the truth of the matter is that right now what I'm doing is I wake up, I generally have a cup of coffee and I think, ooh, go and read your prayer book. So I have several prayer books and one of them is, one of them is my, is an outside issue and another one is, is program. And I read them, I meditate, I meditate lying down and, um, I'll do that. And then I kind of uh, have my breakfast. My breakfast is a standard breakfast now that's abstinent that I have every day because that is really helpful to me to have at least one consistent thing I don't have to think about early in the morning. And then I go about my day. And generally at night, when I come home at night, that's when I send in my food. And then two days a week I make phone calls. But everything's a part of my program, Ali. I mean, my going to my gym, I treat like program. Working out, I treat like a program. Um, you know, how I conduct myself with people, I think. Uh, I check in all the time. You know, I, one of the things that I do is, is just my first time out in my vehicle in the day. If I'm generous and fabulous to the world in my vehicle, I think, okay, you've got a nice center day. If I'm not, I think, oh, time to go home and pray. <laughs> Time's up. Thanks, Christian.